It's 1209. Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. Well, we have some good news. An incredibly idiotic decision by a Milwaukee County judge gets bailed out once again by the U.S. Marshals. Here is the story if you haven't been following this. Guy named Dwayne Cheney, a dangerous felon, a repeat bad actor, was believed to be responsible for the execution-style murder of a man in Milwaukee in November of 2015. He ran before he could be brought to justice. This spring, the U.S. Marshals caught him. He had been a fugitive for, you know, over, what, going on a year and a half. They bring him to court. He is, charges are issued by the district attorney's office. Now, the problem with this thug is that as so many thugs in Milwaukee County operate, he threatens, he intimidates, he scares, tries to scare away witnesses. So what ends up happening is the district attorney's office, um, they're kind of in a little bit of a trick box. They brought charges against this fleeing felon. And we're in a situation where they bring the charges against the fleeing felon, and what ends up happening is he says, I want, a, I want a speedy trial. I demand a trial within 90 days, which is his right under the statute, knowing that there's probably a good chance that the DA's office is going to have some problems because witnesses are scared of this guy. So the DA's office goes to the judge. Her name is Carolina Stark. She is a first-term judge. She ran for re-election. She ran for election in 2012. Her claim to fame was she was not Scott Walker's appointee. Scott Walker had appointed a law and order judge who was serving. This is, of course, the time of Act 10 and the recalls. Carolina Stark's claim to fame is I was not appointed by Scott Walker. I'm not one of those people, meaning, I I guess, conservative, law and order, tough on crime people. She ended up winning. So she's on the bench. She receives a motion from the district attorney's office asking for a continuance of the trial date, which she was entitled to give under the state speedy trial act. She refused to do that in her zest, I guess, to see this murderer go free. Um, Then what she did is over the objections of the DA's office, having denied the speedy trial act request for a continuance, she then converted his bond from a $250,000 cash bond to a $250,000 signature bond. Signature bond. Meaning that this suspected murderer um, signs a piece of paper saying, I promise I'm going to show up. And if not, I'm going to pay $250,000. Yeah, right. So they put him on GPS monitoring. They turn him loose in the community. His trial starts this week. He shows up for the first couple days of the trial. And this is, by the way, not atypical because I think he wants to see how it's going to go. You know, maybe people are instead going to be scared of him. Maybe they're not going to show up. Well, once the trial starts breaking bad on him, he cuts off his GPS monitor and he runs. Now, they went ahead. They convicted him in absentia, meaning he wasn't there. Um, this is going to be an appeal issue, but he's in the wind all because a liberal Milwaukee County Circuit Court judge 
refused a Speedy Trial Act continuance request by the DA, which then resulted in her having to convert the guy's bail to essentially nothing, and he takes off when things aren't looking good. Now, the good news about all this is they caught him today, I think hiding in a trash can in the northwest side of Milwaukee. The U.S. Marshals caught him. There is a story in today's paper, though, which I think underscores the problem of this. It says, Mom livid after son's killer mocks court and flees. Rosalind Prescott McClinton remembers the last word her son's killer spoke to her. I'm going to be free. You can't hold me down. She heard him say while they were both waiting for his trial to resume. After Dwayne Cheney wrapped these words Thursday morning, he left the courtroom. He walked out of the courthouse complex, cut off his GPS bracelet, and then took off. And so here you have this person on the loose. It is all because of a series of decisions made by a Milwaukee County Circuit Court judge. And you ask me, Gru, who is producing the show today, you say, Jeff, you talk about these things all the time. People say, what can we do? This particular judge, she is up for re-election in April of 2018. Now, if there were ever a case that you had... Again, she got elected running on the I'm not Scott Walker's appointee platform. If there were ever, 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 ever a decision that you had somebody who wanted to spotlight in trying to run a judicial campaign, this, it would seem to me, would be that particular case. Now, unfortunately, we don't have very often contested races in Milwaukee County. What ends up happening is you get appointed, and unless you were Scott Walker's appointee, people don't necessarily run against you. It will be interesting to see if Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Carolina Stark, who was elected on a platform of, I'm not one of those Walker people, whether somebody says, you know what, you know, maybe people who release guys like this on signature bonds, maybe... Maybe, just maybe, we can do better on the circuit court bench. It will be interesting to see if somebody decides to run against her as a law and order candidate. And if they were certainly looking for an issue, this would be it. Okay, we start off the program with three big things. A new Marquette University Law School poll is out. Interestingly, this is the first time I think they have polled just southeastern Wisconsin. They've got some interesting numbers on the trolley. We talk about that next. It's 1215. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1218. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You know, with all the criticism that the president gets about, oh, this and that and the other thing, the one really undercovered story continues to be what is going on in the stock market. Now, why do people care about the stock market? Well, it's not just for the rich fat cats. If you, you know, there's a lot of middle class people that through their 401ks or their IRAs or whatever, um, they are benefiting from what has been an explosion in the stock market. And I say explosion because the Dow Jones Industrial Average up another 202 points today. Um, it's at 23,476. Um, it's just, it's been just an incredible rise. Now, I understand that, you know, everything that, nothing grows to the sky and everything that goes up does come down a little bit, but at least at the moment, you have seen just an incredible run in the stock market. And the bottom line is, for all the attention and all the uproar that, you know, you get on a daily basis about the Trump administration and this or that or the other thing, investors are voting with their wallets. Corporate earnings are good. The stock market is up, and that is good for everybody 
who has investments, which is, candidly, everybody or almost everybody. Um, so if you want to see the economy boom, you know, you're looking at it. Can it continue? I, I don't know. I don't have that crystal ball. But again, for everybody who says, oh, the world's going to, you know, wearing a handbasket under President Trump. If you look at the American economy, that is certainly not the case. OK, big story. Number one. Um, Marquette University Law School poll is out. This is the first time that they've polled, and, and just they just focused on southeastern Wisconsin. And they asked a couple questions unique to southeast Wisconsin. They asked about Foxconn, and um, you know, Foxconn kind of had a, a split version of that. I think, candidly, once you get shovels in the ground and once people start getting employed, Foxconn, in my opinion, is going to go down as one of the huge success stories. Here is the other interesting question. They polled around here on Tom Barrett's trolley folly, the, the streetcar. And, of course, if you've driven into downtown Milwaukee anytime recently, good luck because you really can't get there from here because the whole streets are torn up with, uh, again, installation of the streetcar tracks that the trolley will run on. Here is what they asked. Um, you know, Do you think the streetcar is worth it? Pretty much of a fundamental question. 25% of respondents said the Milwaukee streetcar was worth the cost. 69% said it was not. 69%. I mean, that is overwhelming. That is, Chris Abley, what part of no to a wheel tax don't you understand? 69 to 25. Now, let me stop. You might say, well, Jeff, you're not necessarily being fair because all those suburbanites, you know, those people who listen to you in Washington County and Ozaki County and Washington County, they don't. They just have a disdain for the city of Milwaukee. They don't. They just, they could care less, and so they don't realize what a boom this is going to be. So they're just saying no to this, and so th- those numbers are skewed. Uh, au contraire, the Marquette University Law School poll asked again about the city. So they said, okay, let's just break this down. Let's look at city residents. Now keep in mind, in the region, 25% said the streetcar was not, only 25% said the streetcar was worth the cost, 69% it was not. In the city of Milwaukee, just 28% said the streetcar was worth the cost. This is something that it doesn't matter if you are in the city or if you are in the suburbs overwhelmingly overwhelmingly people are saying this streetcar is an incredible boondoggle and not worth the cost 414-799-1620 that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line i want you to look into your crystal ball i understand the mayor is touting oh we've got the we've sold the naming rights to the flop or what do they call it the hop hop flop whatever you know, Potawatomi is going to be paying, you know, a million dollars a year. This is going to be outstanding. We're going to be subsidizing the rides for the first year so you will be able to ride free. I predict even with free rides, even with free rides, this is going to be an incredible flop. And once once you take away the free rides, which you will after a year, anybody that is riding it is going to stop riding it. I think that People in the city of Milwaukee and in the surrounding suburbs are so far ahead of the chattering class of Tom Barrett striving to identify and formalize his legacy. I think this 
I think this poll numbers are absolutely correct. And you know what? I think as time goes on, more and more people are going to say it isn't the flop. It isn't the hop. It is the flop. All right. Do you believe these numbers? Is the streetcar going to be this massive success? Are critics like me going to be eating our words three years from now? I don't think so. But what do you think? 414-799-1620 is the number. We're back to discuss in just a minute. 1224, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1226, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, New Marquette University Law School poll out, showing despite having years to try to sell the notion of a trolley in Milwaukee that goes almost nowhere at a cost of over $100 million, uh, mayors pretty much failed. Uh, the poll shows only 28% of city residents think it's worth it. Only 25% of regional residents wor- think it's worth it. I don't think that that is going to change over time. Let's talk to Guy in Manitowoc. Guy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good morning. Or, good, yes, it is good afternoon, isn't it? Um, I was just wondering what the free rides being offered. First of all, I don't have a, a horse in this race. I'm from Manitowoc. But I was wondering how they plan to keep uh, troublemakers and thugs off of the trolley. Uh, you know, offering the free rides, it's just a natural to hop on and... Uh, you know, or, or we're not we're not supposed to say bums, but bums. You know, on the, on the, I mean, really, I'm, right? I mean, let, let's see. I'm trying to figure out a place. It's cold. It's December. Um, they're they're hustling me out of the public library. I know. I'll go ride around on the trolley for free. That is a very good question, guy. You know, how are you going to pe- keep um again? How are you going to pe- keep the panhandlers and people like that off that trolley? And I don't know the answer to that. And even even young kids just looking to cause trouble, like they do in the malls. That's uh, that type of problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think thanks for. I mean, obviously that is going to be an issue, and it, you know, at the be- first, at the beginning at least, there is going to be a crackdown because that's the last, the very very last thing that somebody like Tom Barrett, who is trying to sell the worth of an unpopular white elephant, wants is something like that. You know, the fact that you've got vagrants or whatever that are you know, panhandlers or whatever that are riding the trolley. So I don't know how you're going to be able to keep those people off. I still believe that because it goes nowhere, even with free rides, you're not going to – you might have people just kind of playing around with it, but, you know, you're not going to be able to use it as a transportation source. And, of course, Barrett, to his credit, he has been honest. He recognizes that it's going nowhere right now. His plan is – all right, well, we're going to have to get more ridership, so what let's do is let's expand it throughout the city. Let's run it to the airport. Let's run it to UWM. Let's run it to Miller Park. You are talking about hundreds of millions, perhaps billions of dollars to do something like that. And I will tell you, I just don't think that there is the will or the wherewithal to do that. The only reason this got sold in the first place was that Barrett promised some alderman um, including some who aren't there now, that don't worry, we're going to expand this. I know that there's nothing in it for your community. I mean, seriously, if you look at some of the people who represent some of this area's most economically depressed areas, how in God's green earth can you justify spending the type of money they are spending to put in a trolley that will shuttle yuppies from the Lower East Side to some of the East Side bars or the downtown bars? How can you justify, as a public policy matter, that type of expense? Well, you do it by saying, don't worry, we're, we're going to bring it out to your communities. Well, okay, good luck with that. And I understand that there's people who say, well, you don't understand. There's some communities that this is just great. Well, all right. We do not in Milwaukee have a, 
the, the community is not such that you can't get around. I mean, I was talking yesterday about, I was in San Diego over the weekend with Uber. I mean, who, I mean, serious, who is, for the young yuppies, who is going to jump on the trolley, walk six blocks to a trolley station, take the trolley, and then walk another five blocks to the bar when with your phone app you can call an Uber car, you can have somebody there, and for six bucks you get dropped off door to door. This is an incredible white elephant, and once again, in this case, it is the people, as expressed in this Marquette University Law School poll, who are way, way, way ahead of the politicians. This is an epic. It is going to be an epic fail even with free rides. Big story number two is coming up. It's 1235, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you are a regular listener to this program, you know that um, one of the things that I have been focusing on lately has been the explosion in automobile thefts and um, carjackings and things like that that are, are plaguing the area. And my extreme, and I say extreme, frustration with a court system that does not appear to take this seriously. I mean, you've had case after case after case where you've had, I don't know, a 15 or a 16-year-old that's stolen a car and been caught. And then it turns out that the 15-year-old stole a car two weeks ago. And in Milwaukee, at least, they will not waive you as a general rule. They will not waive you into adult court simply for stealing cars, no matter how many cars you steal. And the juvenile court system in Milwaukee County in particular is nothing but a joke. It's it's just a flat-out joke where you slap the wrists of the people. You say, oh, you've been responsible for stealing 15 cars. Well, here, don't do it again. We're going to put you on double-secret probation. And there are, in fact, no consequences. And inevitably what happens is sooner or later, the punks that are stealing the cars, they graduate to carjacking or they blow through the red light fleeing from the police and they hit and kill someone or sometimes they hit and kill themselves. Um, but again, it, it's a failure of the court system. And it is emboldened in my opinion, criminals. One of the things that has been going on has been a number of break-ins that have been happening at area car dealerships. I've actually had conversations with a handful of car dealers who are just absolutely frustrated at this. The the way the game normally works, and I say game in quotation marks, is you will have a a string of of burglary uh, suspects. What they will do is, in the middle of the night, they'll go out to some car dealership. Sometimes they'll drive a stolen car through, you know, one of the showroom windows. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to get into the dealership so they can get access to, you know, car keys, and so they can drive cars off the lot. Now, the dealers have responded to this by and large by locking up the car, car keys, making it difficult for people to, to do this. But nevertheless, it continues. And what you have happening now is a lot of times the, the groups of people that are doing this, once they find that they, okay, they've, they've broken into the dealership, they've thrown rocks or driven a car through the plate glass windows, they're in the showroom, but they can't figure out how to drive any of the cars off the lot. So then what they end up doing is just destroying things. I mean, just destroying the cars, creating damage. It's just, it is a nightmare scenario. As a matter of fact, 
I was talking to one car dealer in the last couple of weeks, and he was saying, yeah, the, the, when it happened to their dealership, the police knew who did it. I mean, because they, they had surveillance cameras. The police said, yeah, this is, we arrested this guy for, it was a kid, we arrested this 15-year-old for doing the same thing two weeks ago at another dealership down the road, and they're just back out on the street again and again. So, I mean, Fox 6 was, this. I think it was reported elsewhere. I saw this on Fox 6. Um, charges have now been filed in connection with a, a crime spree, a rash of car dealership burglaries in Milwaukee and Waukesha County that happened um, over just a couple days in September and October. Um, it started on September 26th when police came upon a suspicious vehicle parked out in Brookfield Road. The Jeep was stolen from one dealership. At the dealership, investors found shattered glass and determined that a burglary had occurred. Um, surveillance showed that an SUV had entered the lot at 3.30 in the morning and that then people get out of the car and they throw a rock through the glass door. I mean, that that's that's the idea. The cops find these people if they're able to get away with stolen cars and they then drive off. So, you know, one after another, you know, they... The, the police had started working on this. They determined that there was this burglary ring that was operating, again, throughout the entire area. It is all young men from Milwaukee, um, ranging in ages, in this case, from you know 17 to 19 years old. A handful of the people, of course, were out on bail, signature bond in other cases, out breaking into car dealerships. Um, they had charges. They found a 19-year-old who has now been charged with, um, you know, burglary of a dwelling. A 17-year-old that's been charged with burglary of a dwelling. An 18-year-old, same thing. A 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old. So you have this gang of hoodlums who are driving around, breaking into car dealerships, trying to steal cars. Sometimes they're successful. Other times they just create a lot of damage. But they are terrorizing the car dealers. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the only way that this is going to stop is if we finally say enough is enough. Now, in these cases... It's 17 to 19-year-old young men. Many of them are have obviously have a prior record because they are out on bail. My guess is all of them, or most of them, have been through the juvenile court justice system in Milwaukee and have never learned any consequences. I think the only way you stop this kind of stuff is by saying, you're going to jail, you're not going to pass go, and you're not going to get out for a while. And I think crimes like this, mandatory minimum five-year penalty, maybe more, but certainly at least five years. You steal a car, you commit a burglary, you break into an auto dealership, you flee from the police. What part of go to jail and do not pass go don't we understand? And I bring this up because my guess is that very few of these six actually are going to do any hard prison time. I think all of them need to if they are, in fact, convicted, and I think the sentence should be at least five years. And I think if the judges around here won't give those type of sentences, it is time for the legislature to move in and say, look, this is the price of poker. You steal cars, 
you steal a car, you commit a burglary, you commit a crime of this nature, you're going to prison for at least five years. And if that means we've got to build more prisons, I say let's build more prisons. Isn't it time to make the taxpaying, law-abiding, honest citizens of this community safe? Do car thieves like this deserve to go to jail, and do they deserve to go to jail for a long period of time? My answer is, heck yes. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. And if you have been, now again, these guys were at least in what they've been charged with now, they were robbing auto dealerships. But my guess is they probably were robbing other things as well, but I don't know that for sure. But if you have been the victim of a car theft, you know, are, are you satisfied with the way the justice system is handling this? Should people be sent to prison for stealing automobiles? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1243. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1246. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Packers head coach Mike McCarthy says he believes in Brent Hutley and Brent Hundley. But belief doesn't necessarily win football games. Justin Garcia agrees with the coach, and he'll take your thoughts this evening on Sports Central. Tune in at 8.07. Justin does a very good show. All right. Um, I During the break, I was just rereading the, this story that I was talking about. So you've got the, the six hoodlums. And, and this is, this is it's just, there, there's a lot more. But these are the six. And what they have been doing for several weeks is they have been driving around in the middle of the night, area car dealerships. And what they would do is they would take rocks or bricks or, in some cases, I think vehicles, smash in the showroom windows, and then run through the showroom trying to see if they could get uh, key fobs to some of the cars so they could steal cars off the lot. Now, the dealers lock them up. But, you know, at some point in time, you know, once you... Once you get into the dealership, they have to be somewhere. So if you can find them, you, you can get them. And then the idea is you drive off the lot in the stolen cars and use them in drag races. You blow through red lights. You go on high-speed chases. In one case, they hit a school bus. You know, all those type of things. I was looking one of the defendants, who's 17 years old, um, He was. the complaint indicates that one of the suspects, um, Jackson, was out on signature bond in two separate cases, ordered to commit no further crimes. This is this 17-year-old punk. I mean, at some point in time, don't these judges realize how ridiculous they are? Okay, so you have this punk that's caught breaking and doing God knows what he was doing that got him arrested in the first place. You put him on a signature bond, which means he doesn't have to put up a dime. You send him back out on the street to commit more crimes, but you tell him, all right, as a condition of this bond, you're not going to be allowed to commit any further crime. I mean, really? Really, this is the way we are responding to this type of stuff, and you wonder why these punks feel emboldened. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Sonia in Milwaukee. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good morning or good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I would just like to say that I totally agree with you. I think these kids need to be held um, to a higher standard. I mean, this is. I don't I even know a higher standard, Sonia. You know? I just want any standard, you know. Uh, you know, I, I, I pay insurance, and these kids, when they wreck my car or, you know, if, if heaven forbid, um, I'm the one who has to pay for that. Yes. You know, it comes on my insurance premiums. I would rather put my tax money 
towards building more prisons and youth right. prisons than to keep sticking it into my insurance premiums. Right. Not, not to mention the feeling of, of violation that you end oh. up having. You know, I mean, for, for a lot of people, well, well first of all, the, your car is yours. All right. And second, so, I mean, you feel that general sense of violation. Then for a lot of people, I mean, their car is their lifeline. It's how they get to work. And the idea, too many judges, Sonia, I'm interested you talked about insurance. Too many judges in, in Milwaukee County and elsewhere don't view car theft as a big deal because, well, it's insured. I mean, okay, so, so the punks went out and stole all these things and did all this. Don't worry. You know, you'll be reimbursed by the insurance company. It's no big deal. Well, it is a big deal for anybody who's ever been a victim. Great. I wish these punks would go out and do these to the judges. Well, that's, yeah. maybe maybe we get a little different point of view then. Well, well right, <laughs> right. Or or the or I mean, thanks for the call. And I mean, I, I had somebody when I, I was mentioning this a couple weeks ago. Somebody sent me a text or email saying, "Well, you know, it, it's the car dealerships. Who cares? What do you mean it's the?" And I, I was thinking, what a silly thing to say. What do you mean it's the car dealerships? Who who cares? First of all, um, I. I just because you you run a business in the city of Milwaukee or in Waukesha or Milwaukee County, that means that you know you're somehow not entitled to police protection. I mean, it's a, it's different if you go in and steal from a car dealership than from somebody's driveway. No, I mean, really, I, I think, you know, it's all the same. And then somebody's saying, well, the car dealerships, they should have 24-hour security. They should hire all sorts of security guards. Well, okay, there, there's only, there's limitations on what you can do. I mean, it is a sorry, sorry state if you have to say to a business, gee, we can't protect you. Um, the court system has failed so much that there's all these thugs and hoodlums that are running the streets that it's now your responsibility to essentially, I, I don't know, what put up barbed wire or whatever or, or barricade you know, the, the, your front entrances because they're going to be throwing bricks through your, your, stained, your steel windows or your plate glass windows. No, I mean, the answer is just say no to criminals and gee i mean okay here you've got this 17 year old lord knows what his multiple offenses were and like i say my guess is all six of these guys have criminal records that are as long as your arm they're only probably mostly juvenile records so we'll never exactly know 414-799-1620 let's talk to kevin in south milwaukee you're on 620 wtmj well, hello. If you would put that in place right away, I'd vote for you. I am so sick and tired of hearing. I don't care if you live in Fox Point all the way down South Milwaukee and beyond. It's unconscionable that these young kids know they can get away with it. They don't even get a slap on the hand. They probably don't even stay overnight in juvenile hall. Right. It's horrible. Right, right. And then the judges that are um, complying to let them run rampant, and it's like, all oh, these poor kids. My eye, I'm with you 100%. I would... Well, yeah. Absolutely, they need to go to prison right away. No questions asked. It's mandatory. Right. See, and and again, and for I mean, and see, that's why. I mean, thanks, because that's why I, I think it's time for the legislature to say enough is enough. And and this is something that my guess it would have the support of seventy five to eighty percent of the public. If the legislature would just say, we're going to create a new category of crimes for which there is going to be mandatory minimum terms of imprisonment. We think car theft is a big deal. If you get caught stealing a car and you get convicted, you go to – I don't know what the maximum penalty – maximum penalty might be 10 years. I, I don't know. It depends on the value of the car and all that. But, you know, minimum, you go to prison, prison – 
for at least two and a half years or five years. You know, you can have that debate, but, you know, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. And if you commit a crime of violence, if you are a carjacker, if you use a weapon to take a car, then the, the mandatory minimum penalty doubles. Let's say it's two and a half years if it's just a straight-on car theft. It, it goes to five years if it's a carjacking. Mandatory minimum penalties. And then for the people who've got long criminal records, you give them more. But you say, we're not going to tolerate this. And I understand there's going to be some of the civil libertarians out there who are going to be appalled and offended, and they're going to be saying, well, you're incarcerating too many of this type of person or, or that type of person, to which I would say, too bad. I mean, seriously, too bad. I mean, if you're going to commit these types of crimes, you know, you, you deserve to, in fact, be punished. Let's talk to Wally in Brookfield. Wally, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good afternoon. I'm sorry. I'm going to get over that. Give me two more days in the afternoon slot, and I won't say good morning anymore. Good You'll afternoon. Be off of this thing. You'll get it in a couple of days. <laughs> got you're, it. you're right on the money on this one, Jeff. You've got this right. I got a couple other suggestions. Uh, the minimum to me, the minimum has got to be five years incarceration. But I'd like to go back to the way it used to be. And this means hard work. You put these guys to work, you make them earn their keep, you don't give them a, a, a palace that they're in jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the problems, Jeff, is the liberalism of the of the judges, but I think these attorneys have to also be taking the task that are representing these guys. we got to make these laws stiffer, and we've got to have some teeth in the law, put them in the jail, make it a severe consequence for doing this kind of stuff. Well, well right, exactly. And you say, thanks for that, you say enough is enough, and you stop turning people loose. You know, after, look, I mean, I come from a federal system where when you're trying to set bail, you determine two things. Number one, is the person likely to flee? And number two, while out on bail, is the person likely to commit more crimes? I mean, that to me only makes sense because you have these situations. And how do you tell if they're likely to commit more crimes? You look at their record. You look at their adult record. You look at their juvenile record. And my guess is these six guys and the vast majority of the people who get arrested for car theft, whether they're adults or juveniles in Milwaukee County and the surrounding areas, my guess is it's not their first time at the rodeo. You don't just wake up one morning and say, hey, it, it's it's kind of a rainy Tuesday. Tonight's the day that I'm going to go out to the local car dealership, you know, on 91st and Good Hope and throw a brick through the window and try to get the key fobs and steal a bunch of cars. My guess is you have been working up to that point and, you know, you haven't really learned your lesson. At some point in time, I think we have to stop siding with the thugs and the hoodlums and the antisocial elements of society and say we have to protect law-abiding citizens. And, you know, hopefully hopefully the thugs and hoodlums can be rehabilitated. I mean, I, I hope these 17- and 18-year-old and 19-year-old kids who are doing this, I, I hope after serving some time in prison, I hope that they're able to say, hey, this, there's no future in this. I, I want to come out and I want to try to be a productive citizen. And I understand, you know, if they've got felony records, it's going to make it a little bit harder. But you know what? I don't care. I don't care because they're the ones that made the decision to let's break into the auto dealership. Let's flee the police. Let's drag race down Capitol Drive. Let's run the red light. Let's hit the school bus. I mean, those are those decisions. They made them. They need to be held accountable. All right, big story number three is coming up, and it is related. The mess in the state juvenile prison continues to grow, continues to grow 
but it's from a perspective that the media has refused to talk about until now. Stick around. 1256, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 109. This is Jeff Wagner. Well, at least we've got the trolley. Man charged in fatal shooting of six-year-old Justin Evans Jr. was firing at circling cars. This is how the Journal Sentinel reports it. A 34-year-old man was shooting at a circling vehicle when one of the bullets hit a nearby six-year-old boy and killed him. Robert Anderson Jr. was charged with first-degree reckless homicide in the death of Justin Evans, who was shot and killed July 22nd on his grandmother's porch. Remember the story? Uh, Justin was about to leave on a fishing trip with his stepdad and was running up the stairs of the porch to tell his mom goodbye when gunfire erupted. Um, Anderson, this would be the shooter, has also been charged with being a felon in possession of a firearm. And without getting into the gun control debate, here you have a situation where the guy is a convicted felon. He's not supposed to own a firearm, and yet he's got a gun and he's out shooting. So, I mean, it, it's okay. All right, it, it's, you know, he's a felon in possession. How many more gun control laws can you have? According to the criminal complaint, Milwaukee police officers and detectives responded to the, the killing of the child. They learned just before the shooting, a vehicle was seen doing donuts or turning around several times in the intersection of North 23rd Street and West Finn Place. Police later found the vehicle, which had numerous bullet strikes through it. At the scene of the shooting, detectives collected 14 9mm casings and later determined all had come from the same gun. They also found the location of the casings to be consistent with someone shooting at the vehicle in that direction. Witness reported seeing Anderson yelling at someone in the direction of the vehicle, saying those inside had a certain amount of time to get off his block. The witness looked away, heard gunshots, turned back to see Anderson firing a handgun while he ran towards the vehicle. Um... The witness said Anderson got in a vehicle with two other men and then drove off. So apparently he was shooting at the one car. He got into another car and fled. But, of course, as often happens when you are just shooting randomly, he hit the car and he also, in this case, hit a small child who had the audacity to be outside. Anderson has been, wait for it, in and out of prison since 2009, when he was convicted of felony possession of cocaine. He served his initial sentence and was released in 2012. He then violated the terms of his supervision, most recently returning into custody from March of 2014 until July of 2016, when he was discharged from his sentence completely. But, of course, that didn't stop him as a felon from getting a gun and shooting it. So we've got the trolley coming. We've got the trolley coming. You, you, You can't have... Like nine-year-old kids outside on their grandmother's porch in broad daylight because they might get struck with a stray bullet. But we've got the trolley. All right, big story number three. It gets worse at Lincoln Hills. Lincoln Hills is the, the prison for juvenile offenders, male juvenile offenders. Let me just start off by saying you have to really, really work as a juvenile, to get yourself sent to Lincoln Hills. As we have talked about repeatedly, you have a juvenile justice system that bends over backwards and then does three flips before they are willing to come down and actually incarcerate the juvenile delinquents. So you're you're talking about the people at Lincoln Hills are, as a general rule, habitual criminals, even at the age of 14 or 15 or 16, who have, for whatever reasons, 
been in and out of the system doing progressively worse things. Now, there might be the isolated situation of where, you know, the 15-year-old with no record murders somebody. But but that's 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 unusual. In general, it's these are people who, again, go through that, that pattern we've talking about. They start off stealing stuff, then they move up to car theft, then they move up to carjacking, then it's armed robbery. And, and yeah, I understand they're 15 and 16 years old, but the people in Lincoln Hills are dangerous. If you, you know, if you're not a dangerous habitual offender, it, it's very, very difficult to get to Lincoln Hills. All right, so you've got, but they're juveniles. So you, you've got, again, this, this court system and you had this lawsuit filed, I think it was the ACLU that filed the lawsuit, and they get in front of a very liberal federal judge out in Madison, James Peterson, and the, the lawsuit complains about how the workers, how the guards, how the correction facility people in Lincoln Hills were handling the juveniles. Oh, don't you realize these are nice young people, and, and, and they're putting them in solitary confinement, and they're using pepper spray, and they're putting them in handcuffs. Oh, this is terrible. And then, of course, you've got liberal U.S. District Judge James Peterson, who found, yeah, I think their rights are likely being violated, and he issues an injunction limiting the use of solitary confinement, pepper spray, and handcuffs. All right? That's what he does. Now, it would be interesting. My guess is that Peterson has never spent more than 15 or 20 minutes in the company of any, anybody that has a record like any of these kids that are off at Lincoln Hills. Um, the problem is he issues this injunction, and this is this high-minded liberalism. Oh, you prison guards, you're being too tough on these people. Well, the problem is, again, you've got habitual criminals and you've got dangerous people. And I understand some people roll their eyes when they hear me say you're dangerous at 14 or 15 and 16. But you know what? You are. There are dangerous 14 and 15 and 16 year olds. So now what is happening is literally the inmates are running the asylum. They have been emboldened by this federal judge's ruling saying, hey, I'm going to limit the ability of the guards to restrain people or to use pepper spray or to use solitary confinement. And literally there are. Now it's it's fair game on the prison guards. You had the story last week about the the instructor, the teacher, who was beaten up by the the juvenile inmate. You know who was put in the hospital. Um, the latest stories that are coming out: five workers sent to the hospital. Among this is the way the Journal Sentinel reports it: chaos at Lincoln Hills. Apparently Sunday. There was this organized effort by the prisoners, the, the juvenile prisoners, to start their own sort of like mini riot that was out there. Um, they attacked guards. They refused to go to their rooms. Um, and now, I mean, there's an interesting story. Um, apparently, this was all organized. And again, it was like, we're going to try to see how far we can push these guards and how far we can get away with it. And the result is you have five of the workers who are now being sent to the hospital because of this. The first incident occurred about 9.30 at night when an inmate shattered a light in his cell, pounded on his door, broke a plastic chair, and threatened guards. Staff eventually talked him out of his room, put him in restraints. As they escorted him out of his area, a scuffle developed, and he kicked the guards and spat in one worker's eye. Hmm. 
Of course, you've got the federal judge who's going to be, oh, you were just too tough on this guy. One worker got a knee in the abdomen, strained his calf. Another injured his leg, and a third tore her meniscus and is now wearing a full leg cast. The guards took the inmate to the cottage that houses solitary confinement cells, were soon called back to the place because of another incident. An inmate had broken out the window to the door in his cell and was throwing pieces of plastic chair through it. One piece hit a guard in the face. The same guard was later cut by glass. Supervisor was injured. Um, Again, guards deployed pepper spray in the second incident, which caused them breathing difficulties. I mean, here's the bottom line. I I understand that we have, uh, again, this this idea of we've got these progressively educated children that are out there, and... We need we need to be understanding to them. And we can't violate their rights by restraining them or using pepper spray or putting them in handcuffs. Well, surprise follows surprise. When you've got a bunch of inmates who are candidly on the way, if not already at the point of being a hardcore criminal, and you've got a federal judge who says, well, I just don't think that you should be able to do that, should we be surprised that the kids, the hardcore criminals, the punks, get emboldened. You know, in the story in the Journal Sentinel points out correctly how many of the staff members are just terrified of going to work every day because they're put in a place with dangerous people and they are not given the resources um, to, to deal with them. And I don't fault the prison system. I don't fault the warden. I don't fault, you know, Scott Walker and the Walker administration. This is another situation that lies clearly in the court system where you have judges who wouldn't tolerate for a moment having one of these kids live next door to them, but yet yet those are the same judges that are saying, well, Mr. Prison Guard, okay, this kid that just kicked you and spat at you and was threatening to kill you, I don't think you should put him in solitary confinement for too long, or I, I don't think you should use pepper spray as he's coming at you threatening to punch you, or heaven forbid, you put him in restraints, you put him in handcuffs to stop him from beating on you? Oh, the horror. Seriously. All right. When we come back, the story of Bozo the Barrel Boy and... My case of dumpster love. Stick around. It is 119. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 122. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Facebook is testing big changes that could affect both you, the user, and businesses who are trying to reach you. Gene Miller has the details. 821 tomorrow. Tune in on Wisconsin's Morning News. All right. Now, for for the longest time, I mean, I, I've been here... I've been here at TMJ. It's going to be 19 years, like a, a complete 19 years. We'll start the 20th season of the program uh, in a week or two. But um, I, I have lived close to the studio, I mean, within 5 to 10 minutes from the studio. So it's always been nice not to have the commute. Now, now, right now, I think if longtime listeners know, I'm my, my life right now is kind of in this little little bit of a – turmoil is not right. I'm in a wonderful place. Got married a while ago, um, a few weeks ago. My, my wife lives and works in Washington County. We have recently purchased a home in Ozaki County, and I've got my home in Milwaukee County. Now, what's happening is we're in the process of getting my home in Milwaukee County ready to put on the market. But it's, I've, been, I've been there for going on 30 years. It's going to take a while. So we've got workers that, that are there doing stuff and 
figuring out what's going to move and all that type of stuff. The place in Ozaki County is not ready to be moved into yet because we're having that painted, carpet put in and all those things. So I, I'm so I'm staying out most nights in Washington County. I never know where I'm sleeping on any given night. But, you know, it's uh, so last couple of nights, Washington County with my wife. All right? So um, that means for the first time ever, I, I have a commute. So like this morning, I'm, I'm driving in from Washington County. Um, and that's where I, I reach the story of Bozo the Barrel Boy. All right, I, I get on I, I get on the expressway um, up in around Sockville, which is how I, I get there. And it's like stop and go traffic. And I'm figuring that there is an accident, a collision, or something like that, that that's around. And it, it's not. I'm, I'm listening to every logic. And, and I get in the station. I'm trying to figure out what it. Ha- I mean, it was so bad. I mean, literally, it was stop and go traffic. The type of thing that you would expect from a massive accident. People are getting off the freeway. I mean, it took me twice as long um, to, to make this, this this trip from Washington County to my house in the North Shore. And as it turns out, it's not because there was an accident. It's not because there was road work. Gru who's producing the show. Here's apparently what happened. Last night. They came out and they put out, they were supposed to work on the freeway up there overnight. So they put out orange barrels blocking off a lane of traffic, okay, on the freeway. Um, The work was supposed to go on overnight and the barrels were supposed to be removed by early the next morning. Well, because of the weather, they they didn't do the work, which you understand. And apparently nobody thought to remove the barrels. So... You have you have the freeway, one lane of the freeway of I-43 blocked for God knows how long because, again, whoever Bozo the Barrel Boy might be, whether it's the supervisor or the construction or whatever, who just figured out we're going to put out these barrels and then we're not going to remove them. So, I mean, you have this massive, massive tie-up. So I was sitting there thinking, okay, so this is what people deal with on these commutes all the time and just kind of get rid of it. And again, I understand bad weather and I understand that there's accidents. And I actually even understand road construction. But there wasn't any road construction. This was just somebody, they put out barrels and whoever it was that was in charge forgot to move the barrels when they didn't do it. And it's kind of like, all right, so... But but that's that's okay. It's one of the things that you deal with when you're dealing with all these issues with like moving and changing locations and things like that. The other thing that I'm dealing is like I say, um, it's my 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 house that I've been in for going on 30 years. Just it, it looks like it looks like a bomb fell because again, I, I've, there, there's guys that are doing a great job there and they're plastering their and they're doing all sorts of work in the house. Um, and then, of course, we're, we're packing up stuff to move, and most a lot of the furniture isn't going to make the move, so we're figuring out what we're going to do with that. So, I mean, there, there's all that. And then I've got 30 years' worth of clutter. So I will tell you, though, it has been one of the most fulfilling sensations because I told this story in the morning when I was doing the morning shift a couple months ago. I got a dumpster, and I filled up the dumpster just with stuff from... A couple of the rooms, which tells you how much stuff I have accumulated. I have now ordered another dumpster um, that is being delivered tomorrow. So I'm actually taking off Thursday and Friday, and I'm not going anywhere exotic. I am going to be, like, cleaning out the attic and stuff that, you know, isn't going to get given to charity and, is, you know, stuff that we've now kind of decided is just going to go. I'm going to be spending a couple days just filling up this second dumpster. But I will tell you, <laughs> Belinda Babinick is laughing at me, but I will tell you, okay, now that might not be your idea of a vacation, but it is such a cathargic experience. I, it is, 
I, it it feels I, again. I, I'm living in kind of chaos right now because there's just all this stuff and all these piles of things. But it feels so very satisfying to like be packing stuff up. And I've already been in the process of you know moving things over to our our um, house in Ozaki County. You know, putting the stuff in the basement and things like that, um, with the idea that you unpack it later on. But it's just you know it's just an incredible feeling to just take. 30 years of clutter, and I, I'm just I'm amazed, number one, at how much stuff that you accumulate over that period of time. And, and number two, I, I look at some of these things and I say, why did we keep this? Why did I, why did you buy it in the first place? But why Why did you keep this? Why, why do I still have my notes from law school in 1979? Did I think I was going to be the president someday and I'd want them for a presidential library? Well... Okay, they're going into the they're going into the dumpster when it comes, you know, tomorrow. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Want to lighten it up for this segment a little bit. Um I'm I just I am convinced that people should do what I am doing now. I am convinced you should do it every 5 years just to, you know, brutal be, be brutal, say, "Okay, why do I have this?" Do I need it? Whether it's cleaning out closets, whether it's cleaning out basements, whether it's cleaning out the attics. Because if you don't do it, you get to the situation that I'm at now where it's it's amazing. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a really big case of dumpster love. Have you been through this? We discuss in just a minute. It's 129. October 27th at MillerHighLifeTheater.com. 136, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. Yeah, I, I love my house, but um, it's I've been in there for 30 years. We're getting it ready to sell, and got guys that are there doing a great job. of. Uh, again, they're going by room by room, and they're updating it and giving it the TLC and stuff it needs. And so my goal and my wife, who is a force of nature, and friends, it, it's like, okay, we got to go room by room. we got to stay ahead of the people who are doing the work in the rooms. Um, you know, but, you know, so... For the second time on Thursday, Wednesday, I think tomorrow, you know, they're delivering a dumpster. But I, I mean, I'm in this process of clearing out all the stuff, and I look at things and I go, "Gosh, you know," people say, "Where did you get that?" Or when? I, say, I don't even remember. It, it's been there for 20 years. But it, it's actually as as much as it's difficult to like move through memories and things like that. At the same time, it's really a cathartic experience to start to kind of like clean out clutter. Um, Bill says, send me a text. Regarding clutter, my wife and I moved from a home we had been in for 20 years. I know exactly what you're going through. My wife is a saver. I am an organizer. I love her dearly, but she still has binders and folders from when she went to college. I even asked her, it's not like you're ever going to refer to those notes again. Yeah, I, I, I've got, honest to God, in the, in the attic, I know I've got notes I took in law school. Uh, Jeff, my husband and I have been married for 12 or 13 years. We moved from our parents house an apartment for a year in our current house almost 12 years ago about four years ago i realized we had way too much stuff and we don't need it so now every winter i go through the entire house and purge it feels so great to get the um stuff out um yes i have jeff i've been talking about getting a dumpster all summer after just 15 years i know we could at least fill one can't get my husband on board yet sure hope he's listening today have fun cleaning 414-799-1620 jeff in pewaukee jeff good afternoon yes i was telling your screener i'm going through this exact process i had to laugh when you brought it up two different places purging one right and what i found it was a friend of mine about a year ago said if you want to get rid of your clothing because i like to keep clothing that <laughs> it's in great shape i maybe i wore it a few times but right. it's hard to part with it right so she gave me this great idea that what you do is turn all your hangers around the opposite direction 
Okay. So it's harder to get that article of clothing out. In, in one year, if you haven't done uh, that, you've gone through every season we have. Yep. Call Purple Heart and get it done. Yep. Get rid of it. Right. No, ex- exactly. I mean, they, I mean, there there are, I mean, and again, it's the same sort of thing. I've got drawers and drawers of clothes that you haven't worn for a while. And I've been trying to be um, much I, I've been making several trips to all sorts of different places because after my my late wife after she passed away, I, I a lot I wanted to make sure her clothing went to a good place, and so I've been very aggressive with that, and I've been doing it with mine as well. But I'm sure there's going to be once I actually get ready to the point of moving clothes from this house to the, the house where we're going to ultimately live, I, I'm sure I'm going to be even tougher. But but yeah, it is th- th- this whole idea. You sit there and you look and say, how how did we accumulate all this stuff in the first place? Peggy in Whitewater. Peggy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I just did something like that a year and a half ago so that we could potentially move. Now we're not moving, but <laughs> right. took a lot of stuff to a swap meet, took a lot of stuff to um, right. uh, St. Vincent's. I took, then I made a pile for my stepson, and I've given him a lot of things <laughs> that he would use for a kitchen. Right. But the, the one I'm most proud about is my everyday flatware that I had always used that was mismatched. And, mm-hmm. yeah, he got that stuff. And I'm using the good stuff I had saved away <laughs> for what? You know, oh, for yeah. Those few occasions that you have to have good flatware. I, no, I know what you mean because we have, right, I've I, I had good china that when I got married, you know, 28 years ago, what we were thinking when we asked for this, I probably yeah. used it like three or four times, you know, and so we're, no, thanks, we're we're kind of with, ready to, it's, it's actually funny, because family, uh, charity will get a lot of stuff, but like family and friends, it, it's already like, I, I feel like I'm running a furniture store. It is. It's because it's okay. Because you want to ha- you want the stuff to have a good home. I, I feel very strongly about that. And so, okay, if so and so can use this, take it. You know, I, I said my only deal is you have to come get it. <laughs> that's that's if there's something that you want. I I know um, actually, or I I mean I I know my wife is we've we've already agreed on this. I I know exactly what's coming out of the house, and it's not that much. And you know, we we I want good homes for all the other stuff. And you know, we we made all these different arrangements, but yeah. That's my only deal. Okay, you know, he wants the elliptical. Fine, he can have the elliptical. I'm never going to get on it, but you got to come get the elliptical. That, that's kind of it. But it, it is, uh, it's, it's, I, it's, I am just convinced that people should do this every few years. Uh, Mary in Whitewater. Mary, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah. Hi there. Hi, Mary. Um, I just think it's a great topic. And um, <laughs> we, uh, we ended up, uh, I think it was 12 years ago, we moved to uh, the for- a foreign country and decided to sell our house. So we got rid of a whole bunch of stuff, and of course, then we moved to uh, moved to Taiwan, where we lived. And um, so I didn't bring a lot of things with me because every, the stoves are smaller. Right. You know, I didn't bring sure. any of my cookware. Well, in the process of living there, they put a new oven in, so I had to buy all new cookie sheets and right. <laughs> yeah. pans and things. So of course, when we come home, we have all these boxes. We lived in an apartment for a couple of years, and we ended up having things in boxes for about nine years. Uh-huh. And we never opened up since we moved back. So we opened them up, and it was like Christmas all over again. <laughs> but, of course, we ended up probably getting rid of eight boxes full of things. Yeah. But now, um, I, I have to I admit, I am kind of a clutter person, but it's my own clutter. I don't clutter up other people's areas right. in my house. Right. But um, right now what I do is I, I get the empty paper boxes from work, so I have a nice uniform size box. And when I come across stuff, I just put it in the box. 
Yep. And some of it goes to St. Vinny's. Some of it will, you know, I'm saving maybe because I like to have rummage sales too. So I'll save for that if I think I can get anything out of it. Um, It's just, you know, kind of a process that you go through. So I I agree with you every five years (laughs) if you're reluctant to do it, but I do have the space to put my boxes. So once in a while I just run things down to the basement and hold them in there. Right. See, that's going to be interesting for me because the the home I live in now has, it's just a partial basement that the home that we we purchased that, you know, we're in the process of moving into once the painted and carpet and all that has this enormous basement. I mean, so I've already brought over, you know, we we, we were putting stuff in plastic tubs one after another and and Uh it's still, so I've got all this room. So I am afraid (laughs) that given that I have all this room in the basement that I'm going to like, but it's in plastic tubs now, but I'm, I am, I am convinced, Mary, I mean, I am I I'm I'm just I'm born again tough when it comes to clutter. I'm not going to let cut I'm not going to yeah. let clutter accumulate moving forward. We I promise. A, we have one child who's done with school, has a job, moved out, so his room's being turned into a den and it's just like, nope, don't put anything in there but den thing. <laughs> and the other one's in college, so he'll be coming home, you know, he's just a freshman in college, so he'll be coming home on the holidays and whatnot. So yep, yep. his room pretty much stays the same. No, no, but that, I do have a I do have a question for you. Okay. You said something about your elliptical machine, somebody, you know, that they right. could come and take it. Right. How long did it take you to clean the clothes that were hanging off? <laughs> fair, fair, no, fair, fair, fair enough. Touche, Mary. No, that, that's, that, that, that's fine. Now, see, actually, this was one... Um, it, there, there were no, there, there, there there were not clothes on. This was this was not one of my purchases. This was this was uh, somebody else's purchase. I and I I because I knew. I mean I I got a I got a gym membership. I, I remember thinking about that, but it was kind of like okay, what 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 the heck, you know? Let let's go with it. But yeah, that's um. That, that that's it, you know. But it is. It's it's kind of like like we have family and friends and stuff, and it's and and I've got good stuff. I mean, there, there's all sorts of good stuff. Matter of fact, it like I say, every day it, it's kind of like Christmas because you look around and you go, man, I I I'd forgotten that, or I I don't even know what this does or whatever. But I'm I am simplifying my life. It feels great. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff, I actually purge in moderation. Because I'm afraid I'm going to throw out something sentimental that I'll right. later regret. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, the, best, right. the best example I have is, is I know you like that game basket. Right, sure. And I was going through my mom's condominium, and I found my basket game, and instead of throwing it out, it's <laughs> now sitting in a compartment next to my Blu-rays and DVDs. Yeah, well, see, right, and, and that's, I mean, thanks, that, that's always the, that's always the concern that you're going to throw something out that you you need at the same time unless it's something that has screaming sentimental value i i kind of think okay if i haven't if i haven't used this particular thing if i haven't used this appliance in you know three or four or five years chances are i'm not going to really use that that appliance and if all of a sudden i start to get a need for it well then i'll I, I'm fortunate enough I can go out and buy another one. I, I will be grumbling that why did I throw that one out? But I, I am I'm trying to be merciless when it comes to this 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 cleaning because uh, again it's I, I want stuff to find good homes. But I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you like I say I'm off Thursday and Friday. This is not some exotic trip. Um, trust me, this is this is me and my dumpster um, trying to fill the thing up. It is 1:45. This is Jeff Wagner, 6:20 WTMJ. It's 149, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Bart Starr and his wife announced that this past Sunday's trip to Lambeau Field 
would be his last. They donated a number of items to the Packers Hall of Fame, including many from the Super Bowl era. Learn more about the star's donations in the Packers section of WTMJ.com. Be sure to check that out. Now, um, I, th- this is, of course, a, a new old time slot for me. I was in this time slot for 18 years, and then starting in January, was in the early morning slot, and I'm very, very glad to be back to doing noon to three um, for a variety of reasons. But, um, you know, one of the things that you will remember if you listen to this time slot or if you followed me from uh, 8.30 noon is I, I, I get accused of I, – I, I'm in a situation where – on, on people on on both sides of the Donald Trump issue, and what I found is that there appears to be very very little tolerance for people who try to be pragmatic about the president. Um, there are a number of people who hate, and I use that word, I mean it when I say hate, absolutely hate President Trump. And you know, you, you saw this; it, it's part of the resistance. President Trump can do nothing right. If President Trump were to give every citizen in this country a $100 bill, people would complain because they'd have to break. Well, that's a $100 bill. I can't. I have to go to the bank and break this into 20s or whatever. People would complain. There are people that hate him. There are also, there's a percentage of people for whom Trump can do no wrong. When he does stupid stuff or says stupid things, uh, they just kind of blind, oh, that's it, he's telling it like it is, and doesn't matter if he's just shot himself in the foot. Um, it's, it's just, you know, we, we love him. How, how dare can you criticize him? I hear this, go work for MSNBC. On the other hand, how can you support anything the president does? Well, the truth is I try to be pragmatic about this. And when the president does things that I approve of, I, I and, and candidly, whether it's saving the Supreme Court, which I think he's done, or advancing a lot of policy matters, especially in his efforts to roll back what I think were illegal or unconstitutional actions by the Obama administration, I'm going to support it. At the same time, you know, when he goes off on some of these half-baked tweets at 3 o'clock in the, mor- eight in the morning, I'm, I'm going to, to criticize him. When he picks fights with the grieving widow of a soldier who was killed in combat a couple weeks ago and then continues to keep the thing up so it becomes a news story day after day, I, I'm going to criticize him for that. Okay, here's the latest story. Um, Bob Corker was actually, he's a, he's a senator from Tennessee who's now announced that he's retiring. He um, is also the chairman of the uh, Foreign Relations Committee. He um, he was a supporter of President Trump in the beginning. He and President Trump have, have fallen apart. And now Senator Corker, who is retiring next year, has become, you know, one of the, the most vocal critics of a lot of the stuff that's going on in the Trump administration. That being said, Bob Corker is one of 52 Republicans in the U.S. Senate, and he's going to be there for another 12, 13, 14, 15 months. And so if you're going to get any sort of meaningful stuff, whether it's health care reform or tax reform or whatever, you've got a, a very small working majority of Republicans, assuming Democrats aren't going to be cooperative, and alienating them doesn't help. Well, there's been this ongoing feud between President Trump and Senator Corker, and and it just it, it spilled over today. Um, Bob Corker saying that he was um, somewhat skeptical that President Trump would be will able to deliver one and a half trillion dollars in in tax relief, and so um, President Trump 
in, uh, unable to just let that go, decides to, to send out a tweet. So this is the tweet from earlier this morning. Um, Bob Corker, who helped President O give us the bad Iran deal and couldn't get elected dog catcher in Tennessee, is now fighting tax cuts. Corker dropped out of the race in Tennessee when I refused to endorse him and now is only negative on anything Trump. Look at his record. Isn't it sad? Now, this is all today. Isn't it sad that lightweight Senator Bob Corker, who couldn't get reelected in the great state of Tennessee, will now fight tax cut plus, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then Bob Corker responds, same untruths from an utterly untruthful president. Okay, 414-799-1620. This is the aspect of President Trump that drives me absolutely crazy. His inability to let anything go, his almost pathological need to lash out at anyone who criticizes him, his his need to have the last word, his need to try to, again, crush anybody that, that's, that's there that, that opposes him, that says anything about him, that he gets offended by. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, at the same time, I know that there are people who say, bring it on. We, we love it. We love it when Donald Trump is in a fight. And we don't care whether he's lashing out at Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell or Bob Corker or Nancy Pelosi or the widow of the soldier that got killed uh, overseas. We don't care. This is the guy we want. He is out there fighting. I think... I think that every time or most times when he takes to Twitter and does stuff like this, attacking people, he hurts himself and he hurts his agenda. And I keep thinking, for the love of God, isn't there an adult in there in the White House who would take his phone away? 414-799-1620. I see nothing to gain by picking a fight with Bob Corker from Tennessee or any of these other fights that he has chosen to pick, and he doesn't seem to be learning. 414-799-1620. Am I being too hard on the president? We discuss next. It's 156. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Text line, Trump needs to drain the swamp, not wade into it. Bill and Waukesha text, the president's attitude reflects how many of us act every day. That that might be the, the inability to just like let little stuff go and the need to punch down and do all that stuff. Problem is most of us aren't the leaders of the aren't the leader of the free world. And when when that does it, I think it demeans the office again and again and again. Whenever I wake up in the morning and I hear about the latest overnight Twitter storm or whatever, my general attitude is for the love of God, let it go. You're not Helping your cause. It's 159. It's 208. This is Jeff Wagner. One final thought on President Trump and the tweets. Uh, Dan sends a text. I agree with you, and I don't like that aspect of Trump's personality either. But it has been very effective for him. People thought it would keep him from getting the nomination, then keep him from winning the presidency. Did he win despite of or because of? And I I guess I think that's a a fair question, but I believe he won because Hillary Clinton was such an awful candidate. I I, I think she lost more than Trump won. Um, But but at the same time, I, I think you then have to move forward and say, okay, now that you've won, 
um, you, you have to govern. And I continue to believe that, that the skills that you need to govern and, and be effective are maybe different than the skills you need to get yourself uh, elected. And I don't think these tweets help. And, I mean, here's, here's the reality. And this you're talking to a conservative who ha- has waited a long, long time to have a Republican majority in the House of Representatives, a Republican majority in the U.S. Senate, and a, a, a Republican president. And yet, we're not getting anything done. You haven't been able to have any sort of meaningful health care reform. Now, I understand that there, there's, there's some things with rolling back executive orders and that type of stuff that's done. But as far as big-picture legislative accomplishments we're not there. And the President of the United States picking fights with the Senate Majority Leader or with a handful of senators, that, it seems to me, doesn't get us closer to where we need to be. And that is my point. All right, let us let us switch gears. I think if you're familiar with my background, I, I started off my career as a lawyer in the U.S. Attorney's Office. Um, I spent several years in charge of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, and I was responsible for many of the major narcotics prosecutions in the eastern portion of the state for, for a period of time. Um, I, I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office during under President Reagan and the first President Bush and the war on drugs and Nancy Reagan's Just Say No and things like that. One of the big things that has changed since I was chasing dope peddlers back in the day has been the the just incredible fascination we have nowadays with opioids slash heroin. You know, back in the day, the, the drug of choice, first it was powdered, co- first it was marijuana, then it was powdered cocaine, and then it was crack cocaine, and then it was methamphetamine. Well, you know, back in the day, you know, heroin was not something that, that you saw. It, it just... It wasn't. I, I can count on one hand and maybe one or two fingers the number of heroin prosecutions that we did back in the day because you just didn't see it. It wasn't big around here. Well, now heroin opioids are. And, and, and that's not just unique to southeastern Wisconsin or Wisconsin. They estimate that every day, every single day, 90 people, die as a result of drug overdoses related to heroin or opioid uh, addiction. And it's just, it has exploded over the years. There's a lot of theories as to why this is. Part of it is that uh, a lot of younger people, they think, get hooked by raiding their parents' medicine cabinets and getting a hold of the oxycodone or whatever. And then when they can't get that anymore, they end up you know, turning to heroin. Part of the problem nowadays is you've got all these different kinds of heroin that are out there. You never know what it is that you're buying. Some of these synthetic you know, opioids and whatever, it's a lot more... I am told potent than the heroin that was out on the street 20 or 30 years ago. I have no frame of reference, to, but but it's a lot more potent. You have people addicted, and you have people dying in incredible numbers. And, and everybody is wrestling with different solutions. Let me also say this. The, the opioid crisis, the, the problem with heroin addiction related, this is, this is not a white problem. It's not a black problem. It's not an urban problem or a suburban problem. It is a problem for everyone. You know, you go to some of these seminars where they're they're talking about this, and you'll see, you know, kids from the inner city that are addicted and adults in the inner city that are addicted, and you'll see suburban kids that are addicted as well. I mean, this... When it comes to addiction and the devastating effect that it has, that heroin and opioids have, I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're black or white or brown. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether you live, 
you know, in Port Washington or, you know, in the inner city of Milwaukee, that this affects everybody. And it also affects families. If you, um, if you ever have the opportunity to talk to somebody, parents, brothers, sisters, uh, of, you know, you know, grandparents, whatever, uh, of someone who has gotten addicted to heroin, they, they will tell you just harrowing stories of, of what goes on. Because the, the truth of the matter is addicts steal. I mean, they steal lots and lots of stuff. Um, you're constantly, if you're the parent or the sibling, you're constantly worried about, you know, what's happening to your loved one. You know, where are they? What are they doing? I, I'm sure every time the phone rings, it's that dread that it's going to be that call that you just hope that you never get about how your loved one has been, you know, found dead in an alley somewhere. Because that's, I mean, that's how this ends up. I mean, the reality is for people who are addicted to opioids, they either get clean, they end up in prison. Or they get dead. I mean, that that's there. There is no long-term future. You don't hear about long-term drug addicts, at least not very often, because sooner or later this thing it's going to kill you. It's going to get you thrown into prison, or you're going to end up getting clean. I, I this is kind of a lengthy way of introducing this because one of the things that more and more states are turning to, and more and more family members are turning to is the use of what they call civil commitment procedures. Um, It is very difficult, thank you, ACLU, it is very difficult in Wisconsin to commit, get somebody committed, you know, sent to a hospital for treatment or whatever against their will. You know, and this goes back years and years where... um, I think there was a concern that, you know, too many people were, you know, being declared as mentally ill and having their freedom restricted. So we now have a very, very restrictive set of laws, which essentially says that you have to prove before somebody can be committed against their will, you have to prove that they are a danger to themselves or others or that their condition their mental illness or their drug addiction really renders them incapable of making decisions in their own best interest. It is a very tough standard, but in an effort to try to force people to get help, that, that's what more and more family members are doing, not in, just in Wisconsin, but all across the country. They're turning to, again, civil commitment procedures to say, hey, my, my kid, my grandchild, whatever, is is a drug addict, and this is their behavior, and they refuse to get clean. So what we want to do is we want to have them ordered committed. We want to get them off the street, and we want to force treatment on them. There is now this blowback. Matter of fact, I'm looking at a big story that appeared in the Washington Post uh, day before yesterday about how you know more and more people um, are saying, including doctors, are saying this isn't the way to go. That if you know, trying to force somebody to get treatment against their will is essentially, I mean, the argument is, number one, it's a violation of their rights, but number two, it's useless, because if you're not ready to get clean and sober, you're not going to get clean and sober. And the mere fact that they grab you off the street and send you into some facility to dry out, um, if you're not ready to do it, all that's going to happen is when you're ultimately released, you're going to go back and you're going to start shooting up again. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
I understand that argument. But at the same time, I guess I look at this, and I just, opioid addiction, heroin addiction, call it what you will, is a quick trip to the graveyard. And I guess I think we have to use every tool that we possibly can to try to identify the people who are drug addicts, get them off the street. And I'm not talking about in a prison setting, necessarily. Get them off the street and try to force feed the help on them understanding that a lot of times it's probably not going to work. But I think we have to do something. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I suspect this might be a difficult conversation, but it's a conversation I think we need to have. Do we need to continue to be aggressive, people who are drug addicts, in trying to get them off the street and force them to get help that they might otherwise be refusing. 414-799-1620. My answer is, you bet. It's 218. We're back with your calls in just a moment. It's 220. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I mean, I'm really conflicted on this because, on the one hand, I I understand that when it comes to, and I, I, I thank God every day that I do not have an addictive personality, but when it comes to alcoholism or substance abuse, um, typically, you're not what my experience um, and pe- dealing with people who've suffered these things is that you're, you're not going to be ready to get clean and sober till you're ready to do it. So th- this whole idea of going out and rounding up people who are heroin addicts and, and forcing them into civil commitment with the hope that they're going to get sober isn't going to work unless they're ready. At the same time, don't we have to do something? Let's start with Chris in Germantown. Chris, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Very well. Thank you, sir. Hey, Jeff, not that I generally disagree with what you say, um, but you're right on with uh, your, your view here. Um, I'm a recovering opiate addict. Uh, I was heavily addicted to him for 18 months. Um, that was six years ago. I'm clean now. But when I decided to quit and I went to my first NA meeting, um, you could tell that people in, who were in there because they were part of a residential treatment program mm-hmm. or ones who were ordered by the courts to go there because they right. really didn't take it seriously. And these people that they think they're going to get into treatment, you're you're 100% right. If it's not something you want to do, you're wasting your time, you're wasting the counselor's time, and you're wasting an addict who really does want to get the help. Well, Chris, let me ask you this. What what was it that caused you to to get the treatment in the first place? I mean, what what was what happened? Uh, I, I was uh, I had a back injury, and I was uh, at my first doctor's appointment. I was prescribed. Uh, this was 2000. 11 right. prescribed uh, oxycodone, right. morphine, and fentanyl patches. Um, and I, I just started taking more and more, and it got to the point where I wasn't taking it to feel good. I was taking it not to feel bad. Right. And the people around me were telling me, hey, you're, you know, you're gone. And I, my rationality is a lot of rationale for pill poppers is, you know, I got a prescription for it. So right. It's not a bad thing. Uh, what, what got me to the end of my line was, uh, I think I was going to go get heroin because I couldn't get enough pills. And, right. Um, I, I I knew I was going to die if I if I kept going the road I was going. And right. I don't know. I could never do it again. Uh, just that one time, I guess, was all I needed. And right. I could never go back. Right. But you said six years clean and sober. Yep. Yep. Congratulations. Thanks, <laughs> no, thank you. I mean, I mean that because it's again, it's I I, I just. I have no experience with this other than, than knowing people who have, have gone through this. And, again, in a former life, it was always – I mean, I, I always the, – the irony of this was, you know, when I was prosecuting drug 
dealers. You know, they'd catch them, and, and a lot of times drug dealers were also drug users as well. And one of the conditions was, well, go, go to a treatment facility. Well, okay, that, that's if they're not motivated to get clean, they're not going to get clean. But at the same time, I think we have to do, especially 90 people in this country a day dying because of opioids. And I understand the impact that this has on, on families as well. You you almost have to do something. Jill in Oconomowoc. Jill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, I'm a parent with a son who is a heroin addict. Mm. Um, he was on Suboxone, got treatment in Milwaukee through a doctor, which he was of no help to my son. He ended up going back. He not only got addicted to heroin, but Suboxone. Uh, My heart is just going racing right now because this is, uh, to watch it as a parent, uh, it's very, very difficult. Can I ask you, Um, how long has your son how long has your son had this problem? Oh, goodness. Uh, since he was about 21. Okay. Uh, 22, somewhere in that area. He's 29 now. Okay, so for a while. Uh, yeah. He belongs to AA and AA. Uh, they are guiding him. He is doing awesome. Um, it, just, it, it just rips my heart apart to... Remember the things that we've been through with mm-hmm. him. He has a felony hanging over his head. The last time he was in jail for like 90 days, that was his detox. Right. We we need to do more in this situation. I have more names than I can even go through written down trying to get him help. It's extremely expensive. Something has got to be turned around here. Right. So that these kids can get help. Um a good thing is Al-Anon for the parents. Mm-hmm. I go to Al-Anon. Um, uh, but, but these kids have to be gotten to at an earlier age. We have a program in Oconomowoc here on heroin, uh, about heroin addiction. It's very good. Um, people from, police officer from Waukesha, right. I can name a lot of people that have well, no, and, and Joe, no, absolutely. Thanks, and that—that's see—that is the one thing that again, I think people are starting to catch on. It, it used to be that like opioids and heroin, there was this image that okay, this 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 doesn't happen in nice communities, and it doesn't happen to nice families. Heroin is it, it's that evil drug, and and you see it in the movies, and people are like shooting it up and stuff like that. It, it, this isn't my problem. Well, that's not true. I mean, you know, heroin. And opioids is a huge problem, and it's in all segments of the community, whether, like I say, it's Oconomowoc or, you know, a, a drug house in, in downtown Milwaukee. Let's take a quick break. We'll continue the conversation. It's 226. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, I, I have a text here from somebody who kind of puts into words what I, I think as well. Because most addicts don't want to be addicts but don't have the tools to quit using, the strategy of civil commitment may help some by putting them in a safe environment. The next step will undoubtedly be calling the probation agent and putting your loved one in prison. The next stage is calling the undertaker. Uh, clearly, this is something worth trying, and I guess that's kind of how I look at it as well. Uh, let's talk to Gary in Manitowoc. Gary, good afternoon. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, I was in rehab 
for, uh, well, I went for the 30 days. It was in Oshkosh. And it was for alcohol. Yep. And I'll just make this real quick. I got done. The day that I got out of rehab, I was forced to go basically by my former well, wife now. But uh, I drank the day I got out. But the point I wanted to make about opiate addicts, I was there with all of them, and I, I'm not better than any other addict. But there was a guy that was in a meeting one night, and he, there were 40 people in this meeting approximately, and he says, you know what, last year at this time there was 40 people in this meeting. He goes, six of you right now. Six of you stand up, walk out of the room because you're dead. Hmm. And that was the most powerful thing, I think, for anyone. But if you don't want to get help, you're not gonna. You're not gonna do it. It's just not gonna work. Can I ask you this, Gary? Nope. How, how long have you? Uh, how, how long have you been clean and sober? I've been clean and sober for four and a half years, roughly now. And I don't go to meetings or anything because I just mm-hmm. one alcoholic always thinks they're better than the other alcoholic, so I don't go to meetings. But I just choose not to drink anymore. Is it? Is it a struggle for you? Do you find it hard on a daily basis, or not really? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't even like going to places that serve alcohol because I look at it and yeah. I could go right back where I was. Mm. So, I, Thanks for calling. Congratulations. God bless you, Gary. I mean, All right. Okay, take care. Thanks, I mean, Jeff. I, Have a good day. Yeah, I, I just, I, I mean, I hear these stories. And again, I, 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 as I was saying a couple minutes ago, I, I am thankful on a daily basis that I don't have an addictive personality because you, you understand how, how people have the, these different demons. And I... I, you know, and I, I don't know if it's heredity or genes or, or, or whatever, but, um, you know, you hear these battles. And so I, that's why I am always encouraged. I'm honestly thrilled when you get calls from people who have, have taken on these demons and who fight that daily battle but win on a daily basis. It's 2.36, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. One of my colleagues just came in and said, well, you enjoying being back at noon to 3? I said, yes. Let me do my happy dance. It's just just for a variety of reasons. Uh, I'm glad the station could accommodate this, and I'm I'm just absolutely thrilled uh, to be here. What is the biggest concern right now for the Green Bay Packers? Is it their backup quarterback filling in for Aaron Rodgers or a porous defense? Voice of the Packers, Wayne Larrabee, gives his answer at 320 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. That's a tough one, okay? The, the reality is, and this... I, I'm, look, I'm a huge Packers fan. I, I, I am, I am. I mean, I believe green and gold, too. I mean, the reality is this is, this, this is a, a, as somebody who lived and was a Packers fan during the, the 70s and, and 80s when the team really wasn't any good, you know, year after year of like the 8-8 eight eight records or worse, I mean, this is, this is what happens when, you know, you lose a, a Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, we really have been blessed um, as your Packers fan that you had Brett Favre and then you have Aaron Rodgers. I mean, because they cover up a lot of mistakes and you take away a player like Aaron Rodgers and it kind of exposes what is apparently otherwise an extremely ordinary team. Um, and that's, that's probably true of any team. But, I mean, it does make you wonder because the reality is what's Rodgers, 33 or whatever, um, you know, you wonder how many more years he can play at that top level, and then you know, are we going to be doomed to another couple decades of mediocrity? Because you know, what are the odds that they're going to be able to find um, somebody like an Aaron Rodgers to replace Aaron Rodgers? And you just kind of wonder how many times this lightning strike. But uh, Packers fans, it is tough. All right, there is something grew who is producing the show today and always. All right, what's the big thing happening this evening? Do you know? 
WWE SmackDown. You are going to WWE SmackDown. My my well, I I my producer, you are going to W. I, no, I used to go. I used to go to wrestling. I, I mean, I, I tell this story all the time. My 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 grandmother, um, my my dad's mother, um, who, who lived to in the early eighties. She she watched professional wrestling. I mean, I that that was kind of the babysitter, and and she to her dying day never you could never convince her that the results were not predetermined. Yeah, uh, and, and Bruno Sam, San Martino and Bobo Brazil and the Sheik that that's the kind of stuff that, that she watched. And, and I grew up watching the Crusher and the Bruiser and Mad Dog Vashon. I I I'm not going to mock you because I used to go to the then Milwaukee Auditorium from time to time to watch to watch the the professional wrestling. And I've even been to, they used to call it the WWF, now it's the WWE, but I've seen Hulk Hogan in that. You're going to WWE SmackDown. Okay, are you wearing like a costume or anything? Are you wearing a, are you going to be carrying signs or something? Okay, you might make one if they offer signs. Is this televised live or is this going to be some, they show it, it's going to be live tonight? Live tonight from Milwaukee, USA. Okay, I might be. No, that's not the answer I had in mind. <laughs> that's, that wasn't the answer I had in mind. But I, but I understand that going to WWE, learn something about your producer every day. Um, but tonight, tonight is Game One of the World Series between the Houston Astros and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, it's actually going to be extremely warm. I was in San Diego last weekend, and it was cold. I mean, they say it doesn't rain in California. Bull. I mean, Friday it was kind of this cold rain. Saturday it was it was warmer here than it was in San Diego. Went to the Jimmy Buffett show, and it was like in the upper fifties, and there was a twenty mile an hour breeze off of the Pacific. It was darn cold. Um, but now it's going to be like a hundred degrees. So they're they're in the middle of this heat wave. But you, you've you've got the Dodgers playing playing Houston. Now you might say, Jeff, are you going to watch this? I know you're a sports fan, and as my um, actually. <laughs> my my I, I was I was at dinner last evening with my brother in law, one of my, my one of my wife's sister's husbands, and uh, he's from Bonaire. And, and Franz said to me, he said, I'm, I'm just what what sort of sports do you watch? And I said, Well if you if you listen to my wife, she'll tell you any sports. And I, I am kinda like that. I mean it's I I've got my preference, but I, I if sports are on I watch it. I will tell you though, I have almost zero interest in, in the World Series. And it's not because I'm not a baseball fan, because uh, I am. And I'm a huge Brewers fan. But one of the biggest drawbacks is that the games, particularly these playoff games, take so darn long that they're just unwatchable. Now, this is a true story. Um, about 10 days ago, it was it was whatever night. It was like a Thursday night. We could go Thursday. It was game five between the Washington Nationals and the Chicago Cubs. I... Uh, there, there was an event for Habitat for Humanity. WTMJ bought a table. I, I went. So I, I, one of the things that was bothering me is I, hey, I, I want to see the game five of the Cubs and the Nationals. So this, this thing, it started at 5.30, didn't get over till like 9 or 9.30. So I'm driving home going, I probably missed the game. I got there. It was only the fifth inning. The game lasted four hours and 37 minutes. Four and a half hours. Hours for now. I understand it was game five of a playoff game and stuff, but still four and a half hours. Who can pay attention to any? Now, if you're a diehard Cub fan or you're a diehard National fan, maybe, but four and a half hours. I don't have that much of my life to commit to something like that. Um, story in USA Today: The average length of a game 
the average length of a game is three hours and 31 minutes in the postseason. Three and a half hours. And, you know, you wonder why ratings are down and you wonder why interest is down. Even even with a sports fan like me, I, I, I can't sit through that. Three and a half hours is just way too long. And I, I just, I guess I don't like to invest the time if I'm, if I'm not going to be willing to follow through. I don't know what I'm going to be doing this evening. Don't know what I'm going to be doing this evening, but I'm not spending three and a half or four hours watching a baseball game. All right, and I, and I think that's going to be reflected in the ratings. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are the games just simply too darn long? Are you going to be tuned into the World Series tonight? And, you know, if so... Does it matter about the length of time, or is the slow pace of play and these interminable length of games, is it turning off people? I know it's turning off me. 414-799-1620. You're going to be watching the World Series tonight, and even as a casual fan, normally I'd I'd live to watch the World Series. I just don't have three and a half or four hours of my life to invest. I'm not that interested. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 244. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 248, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The World Series starts this evening. When I was a kid growing up, the World Series was a big deal. It is undoubtedly still a big deal um, to people who are fans of the Los Angeles Dodgers or the Houston Astros. But to the average fan, I I think it's going to be kind of like ho-hum. There's a lot of reasons for that. But one of them is the length of baseball games. The average playoff game, and I understand there's a lot on the line, the average time it has taken this postseason to play a playoff game, three and one-half hours. Um, I was pointing out the game I wanted to see when the Cubs played the Nationals game five, four and a half hours. That is absolutely, at least in my opinion, it, it's it's ridiculous. I was in Las Vegas a while back. I've told this story before, and I'm sitting at a bar, go figure, and there's a, a couple from England that were there, and we were watching college football, and they were actually kind of mocking me because they were saying, look, we, we know you Americans. You Americans are so impatient, but you know the truth is, and you make fun of soccer, and you say soccer is boring. Now, I don't. I actually happen to like soccer, but it was they were saying, well, you, know, you say soccer is so boring and things like that. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Soccer, you know, it's there's two 45-minute halves. The clock runs continuously. There's a 15-minute halftime, and there's you know maybe some stoppage time. You're done in two hours or two hours and 15 minutes and you get on with your life. How do you Americans have the ability to sit through a college football game that's going to last four hours or a baseball game that's going to last four and a half hours? And I don't have the answer as to how you speed this up. If, if I had the answer as to how you could speed up the game in a meaningful fashion, well, I would have called up Mr. Selig a couple years ago and tried to get him to give me a job. I, I don't know how you do it, but I know that this is a huge issue if the average baseball game is now taking as long in the postseason as the average football game. Who can commit this kind of time there? Let's see. Bill in Oconomowoc sends me a text. Will not watch games. They are way too long. Can do better things with my time. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, one of our texts. Jeff, I believe it has a lot to do with all the commercials. Yes, there, there's, there are a lot of commercials. There's, there's no question with that. But still, 
um, even with commercials, three and a half hours on average, four and a half hours. I mean, seriously, who who can put up with that? Um, let's see. Mitch says unnecessarily long, shortened between inning breaks, get a pitch clock with the pitcher-catcher conferences, forbid hitters from wandering around the batter circle. Um, I, I think one of the things that I, I've noticed as well is these, these catchers, like the Chicago Cubs catcher was, was a classic example of that, whatever his name was, seemed to me like every third pitch he was walking out for a conference on the mound. I would say no. I mean, that that's no, you, you just, you don't do that. You can't just have time every time. I, I think Major League Baseball, this is a huge issue. Now, it's a huge issue in the playoffs because I think it's going to impact on, on ratings. But beyond that, it's also a huge impact on, on daily games. I mean, as, as somebody who likes to go to games on, on weeknights, um, especially like when school is in session or you want to take kids, well, if it's the game starts at 7 o'clock and it's 9 o'clock and you're still in the fourth inning, the kids, their attention span ends up wandering. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just think that this is going to be one of these situations where if Major League Baseball doesn't come to grips with this quickly, um, they're going to see even more erosion of of their ratings. Um, and again, I, I, I understand that if you're a fan of a particular team, you might be willing to put up with this and you can't get enough of it. But that's that's not where you make your money. You make your money with the the casual fans. All right, uh, Sandy in Oshkosh. Sandy, you're at 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hi, are you talking to me? This I am. Sandy. Sandy, yes, sir. What do you think? Yeah, well, here's my question to you first. You watched back again this Sunday, didn't you? Uh, no, I was on an airplane coming back, so I did not see the game. But I normally do. I, I normally watch the game. Didn't see that this week. Well, most people here watched it, yep. even though it was played with a quarterback who was able to throw only 87 yards. Yep. Right. And here are two quality best teams playing in the baseball right now. Yep. So when, when you said, oh, I don't have three and a half hours to four hour time to invest in this game, I think if if people have time to watch this, this, this well, back uh, team that is playing with a lowly quarterback right now, they should have time to watch. Well, but, the, uh, but I'll tell you the watch. difference. And uh, see, Sandy, I disagree because I'll tell you the difference. I am a Packers fan. And I am a diehard Packers fan. No, I didn't watch the games, but I would have watched the game Sunday, except, again, I was coming back, I was on an airplane. But I would have, because I'm a Packers fan. And I don't care, as a fan of the Packers, would I like it to move quickly? Would I like the Brewers games to move quickly? Yes. But I'm going to watch them, because I'm a fan of the game. Okay, Um, but you talked about baseball. I really don't care whether the Astros or the Dodgers win. I'm not a fan of either one of those teams. I am a casual viewer. And, yes, for the casual viewer, you know, that, that really doesn't have a dog in the fight, I, you know, what do I care? I mean, would I normally watch the game? Yes, I would. I mean, Wayne Larravee, when we were at this incredible age expo, Wayne and I were doing a presentation. You know, one of the points that he made, and we were talking about the ratings in the NFL being down, and, you know, one of the points that he was making is that that it's what you have to really pay attention to is the whole idea that, again, that the passionate fans, they're going to be into this. The casual fans no, but the vast majority of the viewers are the casual fans. All right, it is two fifty four. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure on his on his mind on his mind for Wisconsin's afternoon news. Stick around.